Well, I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of 1 John. We want to continue this series on the attributes of God. And this morning we're going to look at the attribute of God's love, the love of God. And we're going to look at a couple other passages today. This will not be just a simple exposition, but I want to give you a little bit more of the breadth of what the Scripture says about this God who is a God of love. 1 John chapter 4, and uh, we're going to read about the... Uh, uh, start at verse 7, and we will read through verse uh, 16. Will you please stand in honor of the Word of God? Now you follow along as I read. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God God lives in him and he in God and so we know and rely on the love God has for us God is love whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Father in heaven, open our eyes to this incredible reality that you do not just possess love, but that you are love. If we want to know what love is really all about, we need to take a long, long look at your son Jesus who poured out your love through his sacrifice for us. So speak to us, Lord. Open our eyes. Help us to behold truth from your word that can transform us and motivate us to be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. We live in a world today where nothing lasts. And things, things are built not to last. They are built to wear out. Cars wear out. Appliances wear out. You think you made an investment in something that's going to last for a lifetime, and you find out that in reality, it only lasts a very short time. In fact, if we're not careful, we can be deceived by all the substitutes and the synthetics and cheap imitations that abound. For example, vinyl now has come to replace genuine leather. Vermica veneer, Vermica veneer has taken the place of what we thought was really expensive wood. 
Artificial flowers bloom day after day with absolutely no water, no sunshine, no care. It's amazing. They just keep blooming all, all the time. And uh, today, meatless bacon and frozen egg concentrate get us going in the mornings. Salt and sugar substitutes abound. And if we're not careful, we can be deceived by all the, the, the imitations that abound in this world. We might even be a bit stunned. I'm reminded of a story that Chuck Swindoll told in his book, Strike the Original Match. He told the story about this guy that fell in love with an opera singer. Uh, even though his only view of her was from a third-story balcony through binoculars. But he was convinced that she would become the love of his life. He had never heard any voice quite like hers. Didn't bother him that she was slightly older than he was and walked with a little bit of a limp. Her mezzo-soprano voice could see them through thick and thin. And so he pursued after her. He got acquainted with her and they dated for a period of time and sure enough, they got married. In due time, as they were on their honeymoon, why, his new wife prepared for their first night together. And when he observed what was happening, his chin dropped to his chest as she plucked out her glass eyeball, placed it in a nice container by the bed, ripped off her wig that exposed a hearing aid. And then as she was looking at him, she slipped off her artificial leg. He was stunned. He didn't know what to say. Finally, he said, honey, please sing, sing, sing. At least sing, do something. It's amazing. When we trust what we think is real and in reality it's not anything that we thought it would be, uh, it's not a pleasant experience. The artificial, that which is... A substitute or a cheap imitation always disappoints. But I'm here to tell you today that God's love will never ever disappoint you. God's love is awesome and it is awe-inspiring. It is awesome in the fact that it is so vast, so incredibly beyond what we can even wrap our arms around. It is a love of a person who exists who is far greater than any of us, and yet he is one who wraps his loving arms around us. And it is also awe-inspiring in that as we think about God and his incredible love for us, we are brought to our knees in reverence and thanksgiving that the God of the universe loves us to such an incredible degree. Love is more than a characteristic of God. It is his character on full display. Love is the very essence of who God is. It's his self-disclosure of his inner being to us. And A.W. Tozer, in his little book, The Knowledge of the Holy, explains that we can learn much about God and learn much about God's love through a study of his other attributes. For example... Because God is self-existent, his love 
has absolutely no beginning. Because God is eternal, His love is forever. It can never end. Because God is infinite, His love has no limits. And because God is holy, His love is absolutely pure and spotless. Because God is unchanging, His love is unchanging. It will never fail. The imitations come and go, but God's love stands and lives forever. The scripture lets us know on almost, any page, um, almost every page that the God of the universe is a God of love. This does not preclude the fact that he's also a God of justice and wrath. A God who will deal righteously with those who keep on sinning and disobey his word. Were he not such a God, his love would be diminished to mere sentimentalism and therefore devoid of power and purpose. Paul reminds us in the book of Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 that when we personalize God's love by receiving and responding in faith to what Christ has accomplished for us at the cross, when we bow and embrace Jesus, God pours forth his love into our hearts. Where there was no love, now there is God's love. The Bible says in that passage, and hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. That not only happens at salvation, that is something that is in the perfect tense, which means he keeps on daily pouring more and more and more of his love into our lives every single day. Every single day we receive more of this incredible love that is the very essence of God. You see, God's nature is totally contrary to man's nature. We are so prone to take matters into our own hands. We are prone to be angry and to uh, become uncomfortable with others. We are prone to do our own thing. But God's love is a selfless kind of love, and it's a love that we can experience every single day, more and more of it, because every day as Christ followers, we are receiving on a daily basis incredible doses of this incredible love that God has for us. J.I. Packer in his volume, Knowing God, reminds us that when we contemplate the love of God, we are looking at his very heart, and as such, we are standing on holy ground. Indeed, the scripture teaches us at least three transformative truths about God's love. First of all, God's love sources our salvation. You see this in verse 7 of 1 John 4. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. Notice the next phrase, for love comes from God. He speaks to these individuals as close friends. He speaks to them as beloved ones, as dear friends. And he says to us as recipients of the love of God that love does not originate with us, 
Love originates from the very heart of God, and his love has been poured into our hearts. That phrase, love comes from God, means that love flows from God. He is the wellspring of love. He is the source of love. In fact, were it not for the fact that God is love, we could not even experience love today. Love is something that God is and something that he pours out in our lives as we walk in obedience to him. He does not possess it. He is love. Love is who God is. And how different God is from you and me. We are prone so many times to take matters into our own hands, to strive, to hate, to war. But God's nature is to love. And only when we receive God's nature by faith through the finished work of Jesus Christ can we love as God loves. And by the way, that's not optional. God calls us as his people to love. In fact, he makes it very clear that love is the badge of our discipleship. We can talk an awful lot about discipleship, but unless we love, we're like sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Now, because God is love and because he's the essence of love, the main thing he's striving to get across to us today is that we as individuals are objects of his love. Notice verse 10. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let that sink in this morning. When we had no capacity to even reach out to God, God loved us. He takes the initiative toward us. He sends his son into the world to be born in a manger, to grow up and die on a cross and then to be resurrected so that you and I could experience something that is totally unnatural to man apart from God, and that is his incredible love. Now notice, he describes this as an atoning sacrifice. That word atoning simply means that he paid for the offended holiness of God. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he bore the sins of the whole world. He bore your sin and mine, all past generations, future generations, all of it was poured out on Jesus. And that was the only way to satisfy the offended holiness of God. He became the atoning sacrifice so that you and I can experience oceans of his love. To have a capacity to love. Isn't it incredible that when we receive Jesus Christ by faith, he changes us, he changes our disposition, he changes our personalities, and he turns us into individuals that have a capacity that actually emanates from his heart. The ability to love as God loves. Notice in verses 11 and 12, he says, Dear friends, since, notice, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. 
There will be many individuals who will never understand how much God loves them until they see us love each other. The greatest testimony that any church can have is a love for each other. A love that doesn't come because we're striving for it, but a love that has been supernaturally poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who is at work and reminds us on a daily basis that today, today, Get ready for oceans of love that you've never experienced before. He's pouring it out. He's equipping you to love as he loved. Number two, God's love shatters our spiritual darkness. I want you to turn over to Ephesians, another very familiar passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2. And we want to just look at several verses here uh, because, again, Paul in this particular uh, epistle uh, describes our lives as as what we were before we were exposed to God's love and in the first three verses of this particular chapter uh, he paints the picture of how messed up we were when we had not experienced God's love we were dead he says unresponsive in our trespasses and sins we just went on sinning and it didn't bother us we lived life on our terms we had no thought of God and it was when we were in that condition when we had no thought of God that God saw the mess we were in and he takes the first steps toward us aren't you thankful for that oh my when we didn't have <clears throat> any inclination on our part to reach out to God, he reaches out to us. Notice in verse 4, but because of his great love for us, but because of God's great love for us, we're doing our own thing, we're messed up, we're out of, out of uh, whack with God and with people all around us, but when we're in that condition, but God, notice, but God, because of his great love for us. And he not only has this love for us, but notice also in the text, he is rich in mercy. He doesn't give to us what we deserve. He gives to us what we don't deserve. That's his grace. And he withholds from us what we do deserve. That's his mercy. It's because of his love that he extends mercy and grace to those of us who at that moment had never ever given God a second thought. And yet in his matchless love, he reaches out and extends great love. That word great speaks of intensity, of a magnitude, of a repetition of his love. He doesn't leave us in our mess. And he doesn't condemn us. Aren't you thankful? You see, God, some people have a wrong conception of God. Now, God doesn't, he didn't come into the world, the Bible says, to condemn the world, did he? But that the world through him might be saved. You see, 
God loves us to such a degree that even in our sinful state, He doesn't write us off. Far too many of us, we write off one another. God doesn't write us off. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't put us down. He reaches out to us in His great mercy and His great love. God's grace and His love is so great, His mercy is so meshless that all we have to do is receive it. <laughs> Isn't that fabulous? All we have to do are, is to open ourselves up to this love that God has for us, to this mercy and grace that He has for us. The Bible says, for God so what? He so loved the world that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In John 15, 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, than someone would lay down their life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us, even when we weren't his friends. Even when we were estranged from him. Even when we had preconceived ideas about God, God in His mercy and in His great love, He, he reaches out to us. And notice, it extends to us in verse 5, underline it in chartreuse, even when we were dead in transgressions. This is amazing to me. How many people do you know that would reach out to you when you had offended them, when you had hurt them, when you had done something wrong to them, how many would reach out to you? And yet that's what God has done for every single one of us. <laughs> when we're dead in our trespasses and sins, He loves us. Praise Jesus. Do you ever just contemplate how great God's love is? It is so beyond anything that we can identify with in this world. Our God is a God of love who breathes spiritual life in the lives that have been shattered, shackled by sin. And he places us in heavenly places. Look at verse 6. And God raises, raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you, do you realize the position you have when you're in Jesus Christ? He's lifted you out of the mess you're in and right now you are seated in the heavenly realms with Him. You see, heaven is not something that's out in the far distant future. Heaven is something we can experience right now. Because our sins have been forgiven. They've been washed clean through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he has given us spiritual life. And that spiritual life is not something that is of ourselves. It is resurrection life. Now look over in chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. Beginning in chapter 1 and verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that you may know... The hope to which he has called you, notice, and the riches of his glorious inheritance. Look at all that we have because of God's love and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength. Put a circle around, mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated 
Him at his right hand, here it is again, and the heavenly realms. Man, that, that ought to get you excited. You have life, supernatural life. The power that raised Jesus Christ is the power that transforms us. And it's that power that the Holy Spirit keeps pouring out again and again in our lives, no matter what situation we may find ourselves in. When I contemplate all that God has done for us and His incredible love for us, this new life that we have in Jesus Christ, how can we allow the old nature to control us any longer? How can we allow that old life that we thought we nailed to the cross come off the cross and we take matters into our own hands and we forget we forget who we are. We are the people of God. We've been transformed by God's love. His nature is within us. His power is in us to do what He desires that we do, not what we desire to do. We're no longer under the control of the spirit of the age, the culture, the flesh, the devil no longer call the shots in our lives. We are under new management. We are in Christ. And because he fulfilled the Father's plan, his work is finished. There's not one single thing we can add to what Christ has already done for us. And when he sat down at the Father's right, home, right hand, excuse me, he, he was visualizing to us that his work is finished. You don't have to do anything. The debt has been paid in full. The offended holiness of God has been appeased through what Christ did for us. And we can experience freedom and joy. <laughs> and we can live this abundant life. This supernatural life. We don't have to live in defeat. We don't have to live in despair. We don't have to live under the cloud of that old nature that's all been taken away through what Christ has done for us. And notice what he says in verse 10. He says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now I want you to just take a moment. Look around. What do you see? Just look around. What do you see? You are seeing trophies of God's grace. Every one of you are a trophy. Every one of you have come to Jesus Christ in a unique way. If we had time this morning, it'd be interesting to just start sharing our testimonies. What God has done in our lives. When we come to church, we come into God's trophy case. There are people here that are trophies of the grace of God. He's taken them out of darkness. He's placed them into light. He has given them forgiveness. We are the trophies of God. You believe that? Yes. You see, why do we go around feeling sorry for ourselves? Why do we feel everybody's against us? God's for us. And what does the Bible say? If God is for you, doesn't matter who's against you. 
Because what? He has poured out his love in our hearts. Praise Jesus. I, goodness. Number three. God's love strengthens us, our sense of God dependency. And I want you to flip over to the book of Isaiah because Isaiah makes some very strong statements about how dependent we are upon God. You see, when you are aware of how much God loves you and you're aware that you have really taken on the character of God, we no longer depend upon ourselves. We exchange self-dependency for God-dependency. By the way, there are no self-made Christians. We are all transformed believers in Christ. We can't do anything to merit our salvation. We can't do enough good deeds to make it into heaven. All we can do is rely on the finished work of Christ. And our problems and our weaknesses and our failings are opportunities for God to show his great strength on our behalf. There are two passages in the book of Isaiah that speak eloquently of the great love that God has for the nation of Israel. If you study the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament is full of stories of Israel's victories and defeats. They would experience the blessing of God, they would experience the power of God, and then they began to wander and they began to take their eyes off God, and they got into big trouble. And then they would be punished. And then they would feel that God had forsaken them, that he had abandoned them, that he had forgotten about his covenant to them. But look at what the prophet writes in Isaiah 49, verses 15 and 16. He writes, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she is born Though she may forget, underline this next statement again and again and again. Put a circle around it. I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walks, your walls are ever before me. God asks the nation a question. Can a mother forget a baby at her breast? After all, day and night, that little child cries out, demanding her attention and affection. That a mother could ever forget her nursing child, her infant child, who's dependent upon her for nourishment and sustenance, is unthinkable. But on occasion, it does happen. A nursing mother may indeed forget her infant child. She may even up and abandon the child. We see stories in our newspapers on a regular basis on the internet of little babies being placed in fire stations. The mother has abandoned the baby. God is right. 
we can't imagine it. It's almost unthinkable that anyone would abandon a little child. And yet this is happening in our world today. There's an increasing amount of child abandonment. You know the United States has one of the largest child uh, homeless children population in the world where children have been abandoned. You see, mothers are sinful as are fathers. And God says to the nation of Israel, in some cases, not in every case, but in some cases, a mom may forget her little child. Even the greatest of human loves fails is what he's saying. And though the greatest of human loves may fail, God in contrast says in verse 15, though she may forget, yet I will not forget you. And the emphasis in the Hebrew language is that God will not forget, he cannot forget. It's impossible for God to forget because he is a holy and infinite God and he cannot forget us. Young in his massive work on Isaiah says that this disclosure of God is one of the strongest, if not the strongest, expression of God's love in the Old Testament. He cannot forgive because he is a God of love. And when uncertainty and difficulty, we all face these things. We face situations over which we have no control when we're dealing with the pandemic, when we're dealing with all these things that have come upon us. And we feel alone and abandoned. God has not abandoned us. Don't we understand this? And he wants us to depend on him. When we put trust in ourselves, we always fail. But when we trust him, he always succeeds. Isn't that great? He cannot forget his own. There's another passage that I'd like to share with you in this regard. It's in chapter 63 of Isaiah and verse 9. Notice, in all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them, and in his love and mercy he redeemed them and lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Better translation of that first phrase would be, in all their affliction, there was affliction to him. When we are going through times of testing and times of difficulty, and we feel no one is there for us, this God who is a God of love feels every ounce of pain that we're feeling. He feels it. He knows it. He understands the pain that is about to destroy us. And he promises to be with us. When our little children get injured, we feel their pain. We wish we could 
experience that pain instead of their hurt. I remember several years ago when Sandy and I were preparing to go on a trip to attend a conference. And it was late at night, probably one o'clock in the morning, we were trying to pack the trunk and Sandy fell and broke her shoulder, shattered her shoulder. She was in such pain, she almost passed out. I wished I could have taken her pain. I wish I could have been in her place. See, see that's, what, that's what God feels for us when we're going through times that we can't even express. There are experiences in life you can't even verbalize. But God knows. And he is there to lift and to be your source of strength. He is a God of love who is absolutely desirous of having you lean in on him. Notice those Hebrew words there. He lifted them and he carried them. Even when they were unaware of it. Just think back in your life. How many times there have been those experiences where you were maybe close to death or there had been something that happened to you that totally caught you off guard and it left you kind of, whoa, God was there. God was by your side. God's love is strong and he lifts us up and he carries us when we are overwhelmed. There is nothing that overwhelms our God. It may overwhelm us. It may cause us to squirm a little bit. But it does not overwhelm our God who lifts us up and carries us. He does this even when many times we are being afflicted because of our own missteps and failures and shortcomings and disobedience to what we know is God's will for our lives. Many times we have put ourselves in a bad situation simply because we have not focused upon the greatness of God and this incredible love that he has for us. You see, when circumstances and situations pound us to the ground, our God of love, he lifts us. He lifts us and he carries us. And he enables us to go from victory to victory to victory. We don't have to be under that oppression, that burden any longer. He's a God who lifts us and carries us. You've all heard or seen the words of that poem, Footprints in the Sand. Let me remind you of them. One night I had a dream. I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. And across the sky flashed the scenes of my life. And for each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to me, the other to the Lord. When the last scene of my life was finished, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. 
I noticed that many times along the path of my life there was only one set of footprints. I also noticed that it happened at the very darkest and saddest times of my life. This really bothered me. And I questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I had decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why in times when I needed you the most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my precious, precious child, I love you and would never, never leave you during times and trials and sufferings. When you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Friends, instead of fighting off God's strengthening love, we need to accept it. Have you ever tried to pick up a little child that doesn't want to be picked up? And they fight and they squirm and they wiggle and they, they, they make all kinds of a fuss until you actually put them down. And that's the way it is with many of us when it comes to receiving the love of God. We, we, oh man, we want to do it in our own strength and we wiggle and we wiggle and we, we push against God. And he just wants to lift us. And he wants to hold us close to him. And in that moment, he whispers, I'm enough. I'm all that you will ever need. I love you as no one else could ever love you. St. Augustine, in his classic work, The City of God, reminds us that the world is controlled by two kinds of individuals. One, governed by the love of self to the point of contempt for God, and others who are governed by the love of God to the point of contempt for self. Let me just close with these three thoughts. God's love is strong. He lifts us up. God's love is steady. He lightens our load. God's love is supernatural. He never, ever loses sight of us. The love of God is beyond anything we can ever describe in human language. It's not something that we can earn. We can only receive it. But then his love, because love comes from God, his love transforms us. And he's constantly remaking every single one of us every day to be more like himself. He wants us to lean into him, not leaning into our own understanding. He wants us to lean into him, and he will bring joy and blessing and victory in our lives. Let's stand together, shall we please, for closing prayer. Father in heaven, the love of God
is beyond description. We've only looked at just a few insights into this incredible reality that you are love. We are what we are today, not because of anything that we have done, but simply because we have put our faith and our trust in what you have done for us. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has not put their personal faith and trust in you, I pray that right now they would pray a very simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. I forsake my sin. I turn my back upon it. I accept your free gift of life. You've covered my sins with your blood. And I'm no longer under condemnation. I passed from death into life because I've received you. And Lord, for those that are going through a time of difficulty and feel that oftentimes you're not concerned about what's happening to them, may they understand in those times when they felt the most alone, that is when you've been the most present. And so lift us up and carry us to new heights of dependency upon you as we walk daily full of your love and full of your Holy Spirit. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning, and Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you.